It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. With an annual budget of over $847 million, DECAL's finance and administration divisions play an important role in the success of our agency. Supervising these important areas, as well as the nutrition division, is Ryan Ringsrud, Deputy Commissioner for Finance and Administration. And Commissioner, on this episode, we thought we would get to know Ryan a little better. I think that's a great idea. Ryan's been in this role for over a year now, and I can't believe uh, we've waited so long. But it's probably because he's been busy. Now, Ryan has yeah. made one appearance right. on the podcast. Right. I was right. part of a group podcast, right. so I didn't have a Talking solo. about legislative right. session, which is a big part of his responsibility. It was, it's one of our most right. popular right. episodes right. out of over 52, 53 now. So. Well, let's see if we can beat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're going to be calling your family right. and friends and everybody. So, Ryan, you've been here at DECAL for six years, but as the commissioner says, in this position for a year? Uh, 16 months I've been in this position, and literally this week, um, September 16th was my six-year anniversary here at DECAL, oh, so wow. very timely. <laughs> and what were you doing before you came to DECAL? So I worked in state government for about nine years before coming to DECAL, or nine and a half, I guess. I started out working for the Georgia legislature, which is kind of appropriate given the role I have now. I worked for a little-known research office in the, under the General Assembly called the BROC, B-R-O-C, which stands for Budgetary Responsibility and Oversight Committee. Oh. And way back in 2004, when the uh, Republicans took over the House, the Brock Research Office was almost immediately defunded. <laughs> I still remember the day that uh, Speaker's chief of staff came over and told us all we would be losing our jobs. Wow. And I was lucky enough to uh, go across the street to the Department of Audits and get a job there where I spent just over nine years working before coming to DECAL. We always learn something new about state government. I don't know if I've ever heard that story. You never yeah. heard of Brock. Yeah. So Brock, yeah. Yeah, I'll hold on to that. Yep. So, um, obviously, the budget and managing all that goes along with that is a big part of your responsibilities. Um, over $850 million annually. We've been told <laughs> we rank top 10 largest budgets in state government. I think it just depends how you count that. But um, anyway, but talk about kind of the fund sources and what they represent because we're obviously not 100% state funded. Yeah, that's correct. We're one of those agencies that's kind of unique and then we have multiple funding streams. We're about 48% federally funded, which is just north of $400 million, and that's made up by USDA funds for our nutrition program and CCDF funds, which are people – normally think of that to administer our CAPS programs, but it funds so much else around here at DECAL, from the work of the quality rated unit to the work of CCS and a lot of other things. So that's about 48%. Uh, we're 45% funded by lottery funds, which funds Georgia's pre-K program. And then we have a little slice of 7% that is state funds. And that's around $60 million. And most of that goes to match the state required match for our federal fund sources. Okay. On the acronym watch here, CCDF yeah. is Child Care Development Fund. Nice. I'm impressed. And uh, well, that's one I've learned in seven <laughs> years. Um, administered under the Health and Human Services. Right. Uh, Administration for Children and Families is the division in the Office of Child Care. And you and I have talked about this before, but uh, there are. Uh, differences between different programs, federal programs. This is a block grant, which means it's limited in scope. That is correct. There's only a certain amount in the pot of money, and we can't serve beyond that. Whereas there's other federal programs called entitlement programs where essentially anyone who is eligible 
can enroll in the program and the feds will make the money available. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's a block grant where we get so much money. And because of that, in our CAPS program, we generally serve around 50,000 children. So when you hear about CCDF or Child Care Development Fund out there in podcast land, remember that it's a limited amount of money. That's right. Uh, Important to know. Well, recently, Ryan, in um, local headlines, Governor Kemp called for a 4% reduction in budgets for this fiscal year and a 6% reduction uh, next fiscal year. First of all, I want to ask, is that unusual to have that kind of thing happen as the fiscal year is going? And how was DECAL planning to accomplish that? So it's been a while since we've had budget reductions in state government in Georgia. You know, back in the the big recession we had in 09 through 11 or whatever it was, we had some really serious, tough times and budgets were reduced across the board. In this instance, I think it's more of trying to get out in front of what might be a little dip in the economy or whatever's coming our way. Um, So, you know, we fully support the governor's initiative to be more lean and more efficient and kind of do more with less. And we think we're well positioned to meet his budget reduction goals. Uh, How we're going to do it here at DECAL is as the leadership and commissioner and I and others talked about it. We kind of had like I think what I would call two kind of guiding principles. One is we want to limit and minimize, if not completely negate the impact on any staff we have. Mm -hmm. And the commissioner sent out an email last week or a while back, which I'm sure everybody's seen, which, you know, we're trying to stay away from positions, salaries, people, we're we're doing our best not to touch that. The other guiding principle we have is, you know, we are known across state government as the gold standard, and most of that is around the quality of our programs. I think everybody thinks about pre-K, but I think across the board, Mm -hmm. we have high quality in most of the programs we operate, and we really wanted to make sure that none of the cuts we made impacted the quality and the level of classroom quality in pre-K or whatever the fund source may be. Um, So with those two guiding principles, we largely focus around administrative items that would not impact those two things. And so those would be things like contracts. We have contracts with all kinds of organizations to provide all kinds of services for us. That'll run the gamut from people who do audits on our behalf from the Audits and Compliance Division all the way across the board to people who do studies for us, universities and things like that, and everything in between. And so we we took a long, hard look at our contracts and what could we reduce and cut. And so that's where the majority of our cuts are coming from. We also found some efficiencies in some of our computer charges. We also identified a position or two that had been vacant for over a year that we were able to just eliminate without really impacting anybody that's around here. So Mm -hmm. we think we were able to kind of meet those two goals, of not affecting quality and not affecting our staff. Good to know because at the same time, we've seen some headlines that have talked about other agencies maybe cutting personnel. Right. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, you know, anytime you see budget reductions, you know, they're for a reason. Um, There's a a very complicated and thorough process that the governor and the budget office go through to determine what would be best. And, um, you know, there's been some lean years before now. And so other state agencies, we've seen some talk of furloughs and um, holding vacant positions, lots of them, hundreds of them. But we're very fortunate that we don't have to do that at DECAL at this point. Very good. And you kind of put people's minds at ease with an email. Yeah, a couple well, of I mean, hey, I've been state government for 20 years. And um, as a state employee, that is um, that does make you a little bit nervous. You never know how you might be impacted by that. Um, so, Ryan, um, going on uh, f- to your work over audits and compliance. So you talk a lot about um, our responsibility to be a good steward of our federal, state and lottery funding. Um, and part of that is our audits and compliance team. But how does their work help us to be good stewards? So that, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, in my role, 
that's kind of my guiding light is to I always think of everything through literally the front page of the AJC test. Like if this were on the front page <laughs> so of the AJC. So do I, actually. Yeah. <laughs> would, would we all get fired, right? Um, and so Audits and Compliance does a lot of really important work. Um, the way I like to think about how they make sure we're good stewards is, you know, you'll hear me talk about maybe later today, maybe not, how many meals we serve. And we served 80 million meals, right? You'll hear Susan in pre-K talk about, we served 84,000 students, right? You'll hear Elisabetta talking about serving 50,000 children in our CAPS program. But the, the reality of it is, we at DECAL don't actually serve anyone or anything. We pay others to provide those services. Largely, those are childcare providers, right? right? And so since most of it is really grants we're providing to child care providers, it's important that we make sure those funds are spent appropriately. And so Audits and Compliance does all kinds of different work based on the program. They may provide normal audit services on the pre-K side. They may do investigations on the CAP side. But all of it is really centered around one thing, those who we give grant funding to, making sure it was spent appropriately. Because like we talked about earlier, the, the block grant we get is limited. Right. And we want to make sure those funds go to those who need them the most and those who can benefit the most. And if we have people not using them appropriately, then someone who actually needs those funds aren't getting them. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. You know, we have consultants, we work with providers, but they really uh, are doing the programs. We pay for them. That's right. And making sure that all that money is used uh, appropriately. Speaking of which, your team has a solid reputation, 15 consecutive years of state audits, and that's the operation of our entire agency uh, with no issues. That's that's pretty special. Yeah, I feel like I should ask you to knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, we're very proud of that. Uh, I, you know, earlier mentioned that I spent nine years at the Department of Audits, so I've had a unique perspective looking at other agencies' audits. And, you know, not only is it rare, I can't think of another agency our size that would have even a year with a clean audit, mm. much less 15 in a row. There are some smaller agencies who will stack up a couple of clean audits back to back. But to be in the top 10, as the commissioner said, in the amount of funding you receive and that go through, you know, federal audits from USDA, state audits from the state auditor. I mean, my running joke is at any given time, I got two or three sets of auditors around here auditing us on something. Good thing you right? like auditors. <laughs> and so we're really proud of that. And it's not just the things that finance does. It's across the agency. You know, we've really that what I say about being good stewards of public funds, it seems like our staff and our leadership really embraces that. And, you know, finance does not hold all the P cards, right? We have P card holders around every division in decal, and they do a great job of making sure they do their reconciliations every month, making sure they get their appropriate approval. So it's not just finance, but it's something we're real proud of as an agency. Mm. So just to shift gears, not really shifting gears for you because it all falls under you, but some people may not know that human resources is also um, under purview and um, everyone knows how large our agency has gotten, especially with the transition of CAPS and adding 200 employees over the last couple of years. But what are some of the challenges um, facing HR, um, especially as they help to ensure we comply with some of the governor's new orders with the sexual harassment training and cybersecurity training? Yeah, so first off, we have experienced a lot of growth as an agency. I think I looked at something recently that like back in 2012 or 2013, we had 200 something employees and now it's 700 and something employees and state agencies don't typically grow at a right. pace like that. That's not normal. And so our HR staff has done a great job at trying to keep up with that. We've had to grow 
the HR staff to keep up with the growth in the rest of the agency. And you mentioned some recent kind of executive orders or initiatives of the governor. We've uh, recently had to do an agency-wide sexual harassment training. And, you know, a lot of people log on, do the training, and log off. And, you know, behind the scenes, that is a lot of work for HR. We have to work with DOAS, the Department of Administrative Services, back to acronym land, uh, <laughs> to make sure we have the appropriate training and our training meets the criteria. We have to work with our great IT department to make sure we can put it on Polar so everybody can get to it. Then we have to keep up with who's done the training, who hasn't, make sure everybody sends us their confirmation, follow up with those who haven't. And it was really great that it, I don't remember the exact due date of the training, I think it was sometime June 1st maybe, we were able to report to the Department of Administrative Services that we had 100% participation and 100% completion of that training. You get cybersecurity next, I guess? Cybersecurity supposedly is next. Um, there have been emails about it and then notifying us that there will be a mandatory cybersecurity training coming our way. We don't have the actual training yet, but our HR staff is working with our IT staff because obviously cybersecurity uh, is, you know, IT's area to make sure that all our systems and everything are secure. Yeah. But what this training about is really making sure our employees and the way they interact with our systems that we're following best practices and we're not doing anything that would result in any kind of data issues or privacy data leaking out or anything mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Brian, you added a project management office uh, under uh, your division. Tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, first off at DECAL, we love some agency-wide projects. I'll tell you <laughs> what, we have our fair share of those. Uh, the most recent one is our quality rated 2020 deadline that all CAPS providers be quality rated by, I think it's December 31st, 2020. So I think that's a really good example and a really good lens through which to look at the project management office. Um, a lot of our agency-wide uh, projects cross, if not multiple divisions, every division we have here. Um, so the quality rated 2020 deadline, that crosses CAPS, right? Because CAPS has to make sure all the kids are in quality rated centers. Obviously it impacts quality rated because they have to go rate all these centers, right? It impacts uh, Susan's area because the R&Rs have to do TA to help sure everybody can get rated. It even crosses over into CCS. And so when you have all these different divisions kind of pulling their own way at the things that are important to them in the project, it's really nice to have somebody who can kind of corral all that and make sure we have a set of deadlines and milestones along the way, make sure we're on track to meet those milestones. And that's really what the point of the office is, is just to make sure whether it's the CCDF state plan, whether it's our agency strategic plan, or this quality rated 2020 goal, to make sure that everybody's pulling in the same direction and we're all working toward the same goal. And that is, who's involved in that? Woody Dover okay. uh, is our one the man. The office is one person. <laughs> our one man PMO. Uh, the other thing, you know, a lot of other agencies in Georgia, especially of our size, have a project management office. Usually it's a little more IT centric mm -hmm. than ours is, and it's for big IT projects. But, you know, Woody's background, obviously, he was our budget manager and he was in finance for years. Um, he also, you know, some people know this, some people don't. He probably knows the agency's data mm -hmm. better than anybody else, including three of us sitting at this table. Oh, I absolutely. Um, and so his ability to kind of blend his knowledge of the programs, all the data we have that's going to inform our decisions and the monetary impact of those decisions we make kind of made him the perfect candidate for that. And also, you know, he's got a really good personality. Yeah. And he's easy to work with. Yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, it could be tricky to stick someone in the role like that. Woody's done a great job. He's got a great heart for the agency too. Mm -hmm. He's a dad. That's and right. I think he understands the importance of what we do 
and the end result of what we do as well. So uh, he's kind of in the control tower here, watching all these <laughs> takeoffs and, and arrivals around. And we have a long list of projects for him. So yeah, um, right. we're not asking for anyone to give us any more, but uh, <laughs> we have a long list for Woody um, that need to need his attention. Uh, so also, you also supervised the nutrition program, which he talked a little bit about, um, but that helped us serve over 70 million meals to Georgia's children, and that includes two different programs. But tell us a little bit about how all that works. Yes, yeah, so uh, 84.7 million meals, but who's counting, right? That's right. right. No. Um, so we're Obviously, real- you're not. <laughs> no, no. no. Um, you know, we're really proud of the number of meals we're able to serve or reimburse in the nutrition program. But, it, you know, to us, it's, it's really more than that. Like I said earlier, the, the child care providers, the sponsors, the institutions, they're the ones serving the meals. It's our job to support and facilitate that. And so the, the big goal for us in the nutrition services division is customer service. Whether we are processing an application from an institution to get into the program, whether we're trying to reimburse a payment, whether we're writing a new policy, however we're trying to facilitate or support the services of those meals, we want to make sure we're providing really good customer service. So that's kind of been our guiding light in the last year in nutrition. Um, The other thing, you know, recently the whole farm to ECE and farm to early learning has become a really big Mm -hmm. focus of this. And we've, as we've kind of started peeling back the layers of the onion on that. There's there's a lot to that. I think a lot of people just think of it as, hey, let's put a garden out back for the kids to grow some food. But it, but it's really much bigger than that. You have to have the kid, I mean, growing the food and working with it is a big part of it. But bringing in local farmers, educating the kids about local food, you know, all these things have a really big impact on the way the children view, view food as part of their life. And impact the healthy decisions they're going to make later in life. You know, more and more research is showing that we've got to get them on board with healthy eating earlier and earlier. And we kind of um, set the example as mom and dad and what we're eating. So I think we got to be really, really careful. Uh, But that farm to... um, early education. It is definitely a great program. Um, Ryan, we submitted to the Governor's Office of Planning and Budget something called a Strategic Plan for State Fiscal Years 2020 through 2024. You've really got to kind of get out the um, crystal ball in some ways (laughs) here and plan for this. Tell us about the plan and its purpose. Gotcha. Uh, So really the purpose of the plan is, and it's not just a decal thing, all state agencies are required to submit a strategic plan to the Governor's Office of Planning and Budget. And really the way I think about it is the purpose of that plan is for us to lay out and be intentional about laying out what is our mission over the next four years, five years, what is the vision for how we're going to reach that, right? And then what are the goals and objectives and tasks that we're going to undertake to reach that vision and that mission? And so it's really about laying it out there so state agencies aren't just living in the day-to-day, right? It's that the day-to-day adds up to something bigger, mm-hmm. and there is this larger vision out there. So that's kind of the purpose of the document is that so those who oversee us, the Governor's Office of Planning and Budget, Legislature, anyone else, or the citizens, right, because we're all here to serve the citizens, they know that we're driving this bus towards something, right? That's the idea. Um, Recently, in this last cycle, the um, Governor's Office of Planning and Budget aligned the submission of the strategic plan along with the submission of the budget. And I think that was a really smart move because, you know, the way you're spending your money should be driving you towards your goals, your mission, your vision, and your objectives. And so to align those two things, so agencies have to be intentional and think about, okay, well, if I'm saying these are, this is my mission and these are my objectives, 
why am I not spending any money on that mm-hmm. thing, right? And so it really causes agencies to sit down and think about it. So that's kind of been the biggest change for us is to make sure that our the way we're spending money aligns with the strategic plan because they're both going to OPB at the same time now. Makes complete sense. <laughs> so when we were developing that plan, we used um, a process called a SWOT analysis, um, another acronym, which means strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And then that kind of helped us get to our four goals, uh, one of which is to contribute measurably to school readiness for children birth to age five. I'm so glad I get, get to ask you this. How are we going to accomplish that, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to it, right? Uh, so I think, you know, the thing about this particular goal, so in our strategic plan, we have four goals. This is the first one that is listed. I, I kind of view this goal as kind of the agency-wide, whether you work in quality rated, whether you work in pre-K, whether you work in CAPS, nutrition, CCS, or one of the support divisions, you fit into this goal in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, if children are going to be ready for school, they have to be in high-quality early learning environments, right? So quality rated and all the work they do are obviously critical to that. If children are going to be ready to sc- for school, you know, we've shown through these pre-K studies the last few years how important pre-K is to school readiness and how much better off children are as they enter kindergarten if they've been through Georgia's pre-K program. If children are going to be ready for school and they were happen to be children who were in our CAPS program, the goal that all CAPS providers be quality rated by 2020 is going to be a big part of school readiness, right? So that's how CAPS is involved. CCS, if the, if the environments we're putting our children in aren't, you know, health and safety, like if, if they're not places where the children can thrive, they're probably not going to be ready for school, right? And nutrition, if children aren't eating healthy meals and have their stomachs full so that they can learn and their brain can grow and get ready for school, then so with that, you know, you take away any one piece of that and it kind of limits our ability to actually meet that goal. But when you put it all together, that I view that as kind of our agency-wide across-the-board goal. Mm-hmm. Number two is increase the number of high-quality, affordable child care programs statewide improving access, better addressing the needs of all children. Yeah, and if you think about it, the way I think about this goal is it essentially comes down to access and affordability, mm-hmm. right? Does every child in Georgia have, and this goes directly to our mission statement, right? Does every child in Georgia have access to high, access and affordability for high quality early learning? And so if you don't have that, you can't really be ready for school. If only some of the kids can access high quality early learning, you can't get all the kids ready for school, right? So I feel like this builds off of the first one. And again, all the work that all of those divisions I mentioned last time, all the work that they're doing contributes to this as well. And then our third goal addresses the workforce, not only for the early education industry, but also uh, our decal workforce. That's right. And, you know, going back to those first two goals, you can't do Mm -hmm. either of those without both the decal workforce and the early care and education workforce. So we have to make sure as an agency we're being intentional and we're doing everything we can to support, to retain, to better that workforce, right? So that's the kind of theme behind that one. I feel like a countdown show. And at number four, <laughs> talks about building a framework that aligns and coordinates efficiency and effectiveness of decal programs across regions. So it sounds like we're focusing on community-based uh, collaboratives. Yeah, kind of. The way I like to think about that goal is, you know, one, one of the governor's new strategic goals in, in line with the budget reductions is to make sure that every agency is efficiently operating and effectively operating, right? And so the way I think about this fourth goal of building that framework that aligns and coordinates efficiency and effectiveness is the way we're structured and the way we do business. 
does that lend itself to efficiency and effectiveness? So we recently, I say recently, it's probably been over a year now, went to six decal regions, mm-hmm. right? Because we decided that was the most efficient and effective way we could structure ourselves to serve the state, right? Um, and, you know, we essentially owe that to taxpayers to make sure that we're constantly s- conducting self-assessments to make sure we're structured in a way that maximizes our efficiency and effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And across all of these, are there measurements for us to know how we're doing at any given point? Yes, there is each goal. So each of the four goals we went through has measurable objectives under it. And so those measurable objectives have to have both some some quantitative aspect that can be measured as well as a timeline in which we plan to measure it. And so I think each goal has three to five measurable objectives. We report those objectives to OPB annually to let them know how we're coming, you know, if we're meeting them, if we need another year, you know, whatever. So that's a very important part of us to constantly measure and make sure. So 2020 to 2024, we report back in every year, mm-hmm. kind of a status update. Right. That's gotcha. right. And we watch it more closely than annually. That's right. We have uh, <laughs> So Woody, uh, the PMO, is over the strategic plan. Woody and I meet monthly, and then quarterly we bring in leadership from the division who may be impacted by certain measures that are changing or may need to be revised. So Woody and I meet monthly, and then we have larger meetings with leadership staff quarterly. We report to OPB annually. That's great. Is this posted on our website if people want to see it? I believe the strategic plan is. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it is. Okay. Very good. We'll be by the end of the day if it's not the way the commissioner's looking at it. We probably should check that. Uh, Well, we we made a lot of updates to it, and so I'm not sure if we've got that newest version out there or not, but we, we definitely need to do that. Um, so you have a lot under your umbrella, um, but what do you enjoy most about your job? So really, to be honest, truthfully, with you, uh, this is the truth. Um, it's the interaction. Like I get to see the agency. I feel like from a, a slightly different way than most people do. I, I get to look across all these different divisions and kind of think about how it all comes together and whether that's how it all comes together in the context of our budget or the context of our strategic plan. It really kind of is a unique position to be in, and it's one of my favorite things on a day-to-day basis working here. And personally, what do you like to do away from the office? So uh, I have two young children. Um, I pretty much coach every sports team that they are on. (laughs) I'm currently coaching my son's football team and just signed up last night to coach both my son's and daughter's basketball team this coming year. So I love sports. I love spending time with my children and the competition that comes from that. And then on a personal non-children note, I love to golf. That's probably my favorite hobby that I try to do as much as I can whenever my schedule allows. You find that you can kind of check out when you're playing golf? Yeah, or these you, these days thinking? with cell phones, mm-hmm. you, you really can't check out. Yeah, that's um, true. Whether it's family stuff, work stuff, or anything else. Uh, you know, it used to be golf was like a sanctuary to get away from everything. Right. Now you go out there and half the golfers are on their cell phone most right. of the time, right? Having so. business meetings a lot <laughs> that's of them, right. too. What's your handicap? Is that a bad uh, question? No comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I could get it in the corner. Well, Ryan, thanks for being with us. A great work uh, in all of your divisions. And please give our thanks to all your teams for the great work that they're doing. All right. Thank you. Commissioner, we have some extra good news on this episode of Decal Download. You recently named two outstanding educators as Georgia's Pre-K Program Teachers of the Year for the 2019-2020 school year. We did. Uh, We have two winners, and we just announced those recently. It's always a fun day where we make surprise visits. And uh, the winners were Heather Williams of Central Georgia Technical College Child Development Center and Warner Robbins, and then Jonathan Hines, who teaches at the Barack H. Obama Elementary School in DeKalb County. 
you guys chose to make that announcement on Friday the 13th. We did. Yeah, we didn't plan it that way. It was a way. lucky we, day. It was a lucky day. That's right. It was a great day. What was their response like? Oh, it was – they both have very different personalities, and which I think we'll hear from them. Um, but they were both thrilled and excited and very surprised. And both of them I heard from um, – their principals and center directors that they were like, well, I guess they're not coming. I mean, it's <laughs> it's Friday, and I've already looked back from last year, and I know when they usually come because we have the same schedule every year. Like, right. so we're, it's not going to be me. Oh, so wow. that was great to know that they were anticipating it. Yeah. yeah. Each year uh, we do this. We name two teachers, one from a public school system, <laughs> one from a private child care program. And uh, Heather and Jonathan will serve as ambassadors for Georgia's pre-K program this year, making presentations, attending meetings and conferences, and uh, modeling classroom practices. Now, you guys also, not only do you bring Callie and this great news, but you also bring along some money. Yes. So we're very fortunate to have a private funder through the Nasarian Foundation. Uh, Stephanie Blank has been funding this because she understands the importance of early learning, and especially the teachers in the early learning programs. So we're able to present a check um, to each recipient for $7,500. So 3000 of that goes to them personally, individually, however they want to spend it is for their personal use. Um, $2,500 is for their classroom if they need to do a makeover or whatever they might need for their classroom. And then $2,000 for their school um, because sometimes we pull them out of the classroom um, and we need to allow them some travel stipends and to pay for substitutes and things like that. So it's a really big deal. Yeah, very exciting day. We recently caught up uh, with Heather and with Jonathan to find out what this honor means to them. My name is Heather Williams and I have been recognized as Georgia's 2019 to 2020 Pre-K Teacher of the Year for a private childcare center. And I'm honestly just honored and humbled to be recognized as one of Georgia's top pre-K teachers. It really still just feels like a dream, just surreal. But I will say it has been an amazing experience to be recognized in the community for my accomplishments. It just means so much to be named Georgia's 2019 to 2020 Pre-K Teacher of the Year. I really look forward to representing the pre-K program both inside and outside of the classroom and just being a voice for all those teachers who are working really hard in their classrooms because like myself, we really just don't get a chance to get out and I just feel like I have so much that I can learn through this opportunity. I am so thankful for the opportunity to shine a positive light on education and to just be a little bit of that positive news in the state and in the community. My biggest piece of advice for pre-k teachers or really any teacher in general is to really focus on building those positive relationships with children, their families, and as well as your coworkers. Because children really don't care what you know until they feel that you care. So before I can teach them and before they can learn from me, they must feel valued and valuable. And forming those connections, children become more interested. And those challenging behaviors that you just really don't want to see a lot of, they will decrease. And for these connections to even be possible, you really need the family's support. Um, and you have, just have to build that trust and work that communication to make those positive relationships even possible. And finally, you really do need encouragement and support from those people who are in similar positions as you. And I just, I feel like if you just really intentionally build those positive relationships with your children, their families, and just surround yourself with positive people, you have a really good chance of excelling in education. Winning Pre-K Teacher of the Year is an amazing feeling. This is definitely one of the biggest accomplishments of my life. Um, this means the world to me because I didn't see myself attaining such a lofty goal. Some advice I would give to other teachers 
is building relationships. Build relationships with your students, but also build relationships with their parents. I believe building relationships with your students is by far the most important thing a teacher can do. Without a solid foundation and relationship built on trust and respect, no quality learning will take place. So I encourage all teachers to build relationships. Building relationship with parents is equally important as building relationship with students because parent involvement helps extend teaching outside the classroom. It creates a more positive experience for the child and helps children perform better when they are in school. They both sound very excited to be Teachers of the Year. We look forward to working with them. Yeah, they're going to be great. Uh, We're excited to get to know them better. Um, I've only met them twice, (laughs) and so they'll be great ambassadors for Georgia's Pre-K program next year. We had six finalists, I guess, for the program. They were announced uh, earlier, so congratulations to them as well. And it's always a tough choice. I guess it comes down to they do classroom observation uh, but they also do pretty intensive interview here in Atlanta. Right. So that's what I like about it is it's not a popularity contest. It's truly based on them demonstrating excellence in the classroom. So there's a three-part. Um, they're interviewed by a panel here at DECAL. Um, they send in a video of some of their um, small group activities, and then they actually go through a class observation, and those are all scored, and they're sent to me. I have no decision-making power. I just get the highest score. And <laughs> everything was it was very close this year. Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations, Heather and Jonathan, our Pre-K Teachers of the Year for the 2019-2020 school year. Now your questions from the water cooler. My name is Cynthia Strong McCarthy. I'm with Legal. My question for the commissioner is, if you could host a talk show, who would be your first guest? Oh, my goodness, Cynthia. So that's a great question. Um, it's a hard one to answer, but... So I am fascinated with what life in the White House looks like, and I've read several books on it. And so I would just like to hear from all the different first ladies, um, our United States uh, first ladies, and just kind of hear what their life has been like uh, in the White House and living with the president and managing that schedule. I think that'd be really interesting to hear from them. So have you been to that part of the Smithsonian? I have many, many years ago. And that was my favorite part then. So I think that makes sense. They got the china and the Mm -hmm. dresses. I have to admit, I kind of zoned out on that. (laughs) That was important to my mom back in the day. It was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And just to hear how they've contributed to the presidency in different ways is interesting to me, too. The the kind of behind-the-scenes influence Mm -hmm. is fascinating when you really dig into it. Yeah. Good choice. Time to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We're drawing one name from all the correct answers to this question. You could win something very nice from Chick-fil-A, Fun Spot American Theme Park, Atlanta Botanical Garden, Wild Adventures, or Atlanta Movie Tours. Here's the question. In decal's strategic plan, what does SWAT stand for? I told you this is a tough one. In DECAL's strategic plan, what does SWAT stand for? Be one of our correct answers. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers, and you'll be the winner. Thanks for tuning in to DECAL Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.